Well, good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, my name is Penny, and if you're a guest or a visitor, welcome. We're glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, we are this morning in the book of 1 Peter. So we are in 1 Peter chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there to 1 Peter 5. The passage is also printed in your order of service. Uh, this is the last uh, sermon in our series on the book of 1 Peter. Next week, we'll start a series uh, for Advent. We'll be looking at the names of Jesus out of Isaiah 9. Uh, but, but this is the, the end of this study in, in this wonderful book of 1 Peter. And as I've been thinking about not just the, the ser- this sermon uh, this morning, but, but the book as a whole, I'm reminded of one of the reasons why I love this book, and, and not just this book, but the, the Bible as a whole. And that's because of the honest way in which Peter and the Bible uh, depicts the human experience. Uh, it, it depicts the human experience with great honesty, with with great truth, and not just the human experience, generally speaking, but the Christian experience specifically. You see, Peter doesn't uh, sugarcoat our experience in this world. He doesn't give us a photoshopped vision of Christianity. You know, that means a, a photoshopped vision. Some of you may be uh, as you're looking at your friends' social media feeds, Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, or whatever it is that you might be on, uh, you, you see these pictures that your friends are posting, or maybe the pictures that you post. And they're these wonderful pictures of, of a beautiful field or a mountain range or the stillness of a lake, or, or maybe it's a big turkey from this past week, right? A, a beautiful table that's ready to welcome guests and visitors. You see these pictures, and in some of the pictures in the caption, you see hashtag no filter. Y'all have seen those before, right? Hashtag no filter. And all that means is that this is an accurate depiction of what the photographer actually saw, right? With our editing software, with our phones, we can put filters on it. We can make the, the picture look the way we want it. We can change how people view the picture and how we respond to the picture that we see. And there's nothing wrong with doing this with mountain ranges and turkeys and all these sorts of things, right? We can, we can put filters so that they look more vivid or warm or, or cool or dramatic. We can do all these sorts of things, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it's become so common that, that when we don't use these filters, we have to tell people we're not. <laughs> like, this is really a beautiful picture. I, I really didn't doctor it up. I didn't change it. This is how I really saw it. Again, there's nothing wrong with using filters in pictures. The problem is, is that we oftentimes put filters on our lives. And we put filters on, on what it means to be a Christian, right? We have depictions of the Christian life. When, when people come to faith, we tell them things like, this is, this is going to be beautiful and good and sweet and true, right? This is your best life. No, we don't say that one. <laughs> we know better than to say that one. But we do tell them those sorts of things, and that is true, Christianity is true, and it is beautiful, and it is good, and it is right, but that's not all that it is, right? Because we still live in the midst of a broken world. We still live under the effects of the fall, and so Christianity isn't just sweet and good and beautiful and true. There is beauty and there is ugliness. There is glory and there is garbage. There is victory and there is struggle, right? Both of those two things are reality, This reality is beautifully and poignantly summarized in the poem, The Valley of Vision. I printed in your order of service in the reflections. You can turn there so you can follow along if you'd like. But this beautiful Puritan prayer 
summarizes the Christian life, this dichotomy of glory and garbage, of victory and struggle. He writes this, the way down is the way up. To be low is to be high. The broken heart is the healed heart. The contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit. The repenting soul is the rejoicing soul. Thy light in my darkness, thy life in my death, thy joy in my sorrow, thy grace in my sin, thy riches in my poverty, thy glory in my valley. You hear it. Victory, glory, light, but also darkness and valley and struggle. And really, that, that dichotomy, that's what First Peter has been about. Now, Peter doesn't use the language of struggle very often. The language that he often uses is the life of exile, right? That exilic living, living as foreigners in a foreign land, strangers in a strange land, living as though this place is not our home, will come with it struggle. In many ways, 1 Peter is a treatise on Jesus' words in John 16 when he said, In this life you will have tribulation. And before Peter ends his book, he's going to remind us of this again. He's going to give us one final word about the struggles that we face. And so let's go ahead and read 1 Peter 5, beginning in verse 6. Peter writes, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we are in need of your grace right now. We need you to open our eyes, to unclog our ears, to soften our hearts, and to equip our hands and feet. And so we pray that as we come to this word, that you would do those very things, that you would allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts to please you, our God and our King, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, Peter begins by addressing our struggles, the struggles that we're going to face. We see it right away in verse 7. He talks about anxiety, casting all your anxieties on him. That that is the first struggle that we face in this world, that Peter wants us to see our anxiety. And when he speaks of anxiety, Peter's talking about the feeling of apprehension, of, of distress that we often feel. And we know that sometimes that anxiety, that fear, that worry, sometimes that is for illegitimate concerns, right? Sometimes they're they're for unnecessary worries. But other times we experience fear, concern, worry. We experience these things because of the possibility of true danger, 
of, of actual misfortune. Right? I mean, think about Peter's hearers. Peter's hearers had been persecuted and they had been maligned. And they had been persecuted and maligned, not because they were, uh, they were doing poorly in their work, not because they were, they were kind of punks to their neighbors. It wasn't for those sorts of reasons. It's because they trusted in Christ. It's because they were Christians. They were maligned and persecuted for their faith. And so they had very good reason to be anxious in the world in which they lived. Just a few short years after Peter writes this letter, some of them would be killed, and Peter himself would be martyred for his faith. So their fears, their concerns, their anxieties, they were warranted. The danger that they were experiencing was real. Now, I imagine that most of us, many of us, our, our concerns or our anxieties aren't driven by the fear of persecution, right? We, we live in relative safety and, and acceptance in, in this land, and, and we should be thankful for that. But, but it doesn't mean that we don't have worries and concerns anyway, right? I mean, many of us are concerned about the future. Well, tomorrow will come. What, what the next five or ten years will entail, Right? We have concern for our jobs and our families. We have worries about our children or, or an aging parent or a sibling whose life is seemingly coming, coming, uh, coming undone. Some of us are concerned about physical pain that we've been experiencing. Right? Physical pain that we've endured for many weeks or months or even years. And these concerns are real. You see, living in this world, living in the midst of a fallen world means that we're going to be confronted by this struggle. We're going to experience fear and anxiety. That is one of the struggles we will face, but that's not the only struggle we'll face. Peter starts with anxiety, but then he points our attention to another fear, another struggle. He says in verse 8, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour you see, the struggles are not just our anxiety, but it's also our adversary. And Peter tells us our adversary is the devil. The devil himself, an, an actual spiritual enemy. And I wonder how that sits with you all, you know, to talk about the devil. Like, we don't talk about the devil very much in, in our circles, right? We don't make much of him. We, we talk about him when we come to him in passages like this, but, but we don't talk about him very often. And and so, so maybe we don't really think about the spiritual battle that's being waged around us. And that, the fact that you're a participant in it. We don't, we don't think about it very much. So I wonder when I bring up the devil, when Peter talks about this adversary who's trying to destroy you, what you think about. How that sits with you. See, I think for many of us, we, we make, make light of this spiritual battle. We make light of this spiritual battle because, because we've heard others talk about the devil and the spiritual warfare that's occurring, and, and they talk about it in such a way that it excuses their behavior, right? Like, the devil made me do it, and so I don't want to be like that. I don't want to just shun my responsibility, and so, so we don't make much of that spiritual battle. I think others of us, instead of responding in that way, we, we don't think much about Satan because we, we don't think that he's all that dangerous, right? We see these caricatures of him in pop culture, this guy in a red suit and a pointed tail and cloven hooves. You know, he's walking around with a pitchfork, and he looks cartoon-like. And really, what kind of danger could that guy be, right? He looks comical. 
not dangerous. So maybe we don't think about him because we, we really don't think he, he can actually harm. That he can't really hurt. But actually, I think that most of us, when we think about the spiritual war that is going on around us, the spiritual world that is going on around us, we just don't think about it at all. We, we're functional muggles. So some of you have heard me use this phrase before. You know what a muggle is if you're familiar with the world of Harry Potter. Muggles are the non-magical people. They're, they're you and me, right? They're, they're not wizards and witches. And muggles have no idea that they're inhabiting a spiritual world, a, a world of magic. The world of magic is all around them, but they're totally ignorant of it. They don't know that a witch or a wizard lives next door to them. They get up and they go about their day, they go about their work, and they come home and they eat their dinner, and they have no idea that Lord Voldemort, excuse me, he who must not be named, <laughs> just kidding, is bringing war upon the world. Right? They have no idea what's going on around them. Now, now, where we differ is that we actually do believe, we affirm that there is a spiritual battle occurring. The, the difference is, is that we are functional muggles, not actual muggles. Because we don't live as though it's a reality. We don't live as though it's a reality. We give assent to the spiritual realm when it comes to God and to Jesus and to our spiritual well-being. But, but the idea that there is a spiritual enemy, well, we don't want to think much about that. And so maybe for some of us, it, it makes us actually feel very uncomfortable to have any kind of thought of a satanic being, of the devil, of a spiritual enemy. And maybe this discomfort points to the possibility that our naturalistic understandings of the world and of the world itself, that naturalistic posture that the world adopts, has influenced us far more than we realize. But the truth is, is that whether we give the devil much thought or none at all, it doesn't change the fact that Peter says he is real, that he exists, and that he is wanting to destroy. And in fact, I think that those different postures of making light of him, of not thinking he's all that serious, of, of not thinking that he even exists, I think that just plays into his prowling. See, Peter says he's like a roaring lion, ready to devour but before the lion roars and before the lion attacks, what does the lion do? The lion sneaks up on its prey. Right? Go, go watch Planet Earth. We've been watching that in our house. The, the good lion doesn't come roaring at the wildebeest, right? Because then the wildebeest runs away. It sneaks up. It sneaks up very quietly. It stalks its victim. And then at the very last moment, it leaps and it devours, and it destroys. And Satan does the same to us. He does it by convincing us that he's not there. He does it by convincing us that he's not dangerous. He does it by using the good things that God has given and manipulates them to lead us into evil. I mean, think about the way Satan tempted Jesus. That's exactly what he did, didn't he? When Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days fasting and Satan came and tempted him three times, what did Satan use to try and tempt Jesus to sin? He used God's very word. 
the word that is good and beautiful and intended to flourish, Satan quoted accurately God's word to Jesus in the hope to manipulate him, to turn him, to cause him to turn away from the Lord, from his Father. He sought to bring evil through the use of something that was intended for good. And that's what he wants to do to us. So what do we do with that? These struggles that we'll face in adversary, anxiety, what do we do with these things? Maybe we think that we can just hide from our enemy, can just hide from him. Or maybe we think that we should hold on to our fears and pretend that they're not there. But that's not what Peter tells us. He says that we are going to face struggles, but then he says we are to fight against these struggles. We're to fight by resisting. That's what he says about our adversary. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful, resist him, be firm in your faith. You see, resisting our adversary begins by being sober-minded and watchful. We have to be alert. To invoke Harry Potter once more, we have to be like Mad-Eye Moody, constant vigilance. (laughs) Because evil doesn't take a day off. And sin doesn't tire We have to be constantly ready, sober-minded, and watchful. It means if we're going to resist the devil, we have to actually believe that he is there. But it's not just giving assent to him. It's not actually believing that there is a real and actual threat. It's actually resisting. And so how do we resist? How do we hold firm to our faith? Well, how did Jesus? When Christ was tempted... When Satan tried to lead him away, he rightly applied God's word. Do you remember Jesus when when he was in the desert? Satan came and said, turn those stones into bread. You must be hungry. You must be thirsty. Go ahead, turn those stones into bread and eat them. And what did Jesus say? He rightly applied God's word. He said, man shall not live by by bread alone, but by the very word of God. And then Satan took him up on on a cliff and he said, throw yourself off because you know that it's written that that God will send his angels and and your uh, foot won't even be struck by a stone. Throw yourself off. And what did Jesus say? He said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then finally, Satan took him once more up to the top to the highest peak, and he had him look around and he said, if you bow down and worship me, I will give you everything you see, which is so ironic because it was already Christ's. But do you remember what Jesus said to him then? You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. How is it that Jesus resisted the temptations of his adversary? By holding firm to the word of God. By holding firm to the faith. And that's what we must do. You see, when we hear those words being whispered in our ears, your sin is too great. Hide it. Don't let the light of day be shown on it. We respond by telling him, no, you're right, my sin is great. Greater, like Luther We throw it back in his face and say, my sin is greater than you know, but God's grace is greater than even my sin. Confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. When we hear those whispers that, that maybe God has forsaken you, maybe he has left you, maybe he has departed from you, we remember, no, 
God's word tells us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We hold firm. We resist by holding firm to the very word of God. That's how we fight against our adversary. But how do we fight against our anxieties? Well, Peter tells us by casting them. Verses 6 and 7, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This passage is addressing, I think, one of the biggest questions that we often have about who God is. You see, I think for most of us, we don't doubt that God is strong enough, is powerful enough to deal with our struggles. But we wonder, does he care enough? See, in the midst of our worries and our concerns, we wonder, does he love us enough to deal with our struggles? Does he see us in our pain? Does he care enough to help us? And what Peter is telling us is that he does. Cast all your anxieties upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6? The Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about his, his disciples' fears and their worries. And he says to them, he says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He goes on, he says, Consider the lilies of the field. This is one of my favorite passages. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, Even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Jesus goes on and he says, Do not be anxious about your life. If your father feeds the birds and clothes the grass, will he not much more clothe you? Are you not of more value than they? Are you not of more value than they? See, the the Savior who thought that you were valuable enough to go to the cross, to take your sin upon himself, to care for you by taking God's wrath upon himself and not allowing it to fall upon you and rising again in victory. He cared for you enough to die. He will not stop caring for you now. His care doesn't end in his redemption. It continues in our sanctification. It continues every day. Are you not of more value than they? The answer is, of course. Of course. You're the people for whom Christ has given his life, so of course he cares for you. That's why Peter says, cast all your anxiety upon him. See, this casting, it's an expression of our dependence upon him. It's an expression of humility. Grammatically, the word casting there is an instrumental participle, which basically means that it's telling us how we appropriate this humbling of ourselves. The the command that Peter gives in verse 6 is humble yourself. And how are we to humble ourselves? By casting our anxiety upon him. Because when we cast our fears and our concerns and our worries upon Christ, we're saying we can't do it. We have to depend upon you. There's nowhere else and no one else that we turn to. We're not able to handle it, and we're not. I mean, think about your fears. We all have them. Think about your concerns. Think about your worries. 
I want you to think about how you try to appropriate those, how, how you deal with them. Do you ever, do you ever uh, spend a day and you're concerned about something? Maybe it's a big meeting that's coming up. Maybe it's something that's going on in your family. Whatever it might be, you're, you're filled with concern and worry. And so as the, the day wears on, wears on and, and it gets close to go to bed, you just decide, you know what? I'm not going to think about it anymore because I need some rest. I'm just going to muscle up and I'm not going to think about it. I'm going to rid my mind of it. I'm going to lay down. I'm going to fall into a wonderful slumber and I'm going to rest really well and I wake up and it's a new day. Like, have y'all ever tried that? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work, does it? <laughs> I mean, that's what I tried to do, right? I'll just think happy thoughts. I'll go to my happy place, wherever your happy place might be. Right? I'll just think about good things, and, and I'll be done with my anxiety and my fear. And, but then you lay down, and what happens? You don't enter into a restful sleep, but a restless one, if you fall asleep at all. And you toss, and you turn, and, and your mind starts going to worst-case scenarios, and you start to become anxious about your anxiousness, Right? No, the truth is, is that effort and resolve can't cast out our fears. And they can't cast out our anxieties. But do you know what can? The love of Christ. In 1 John chapter 4, the apostle John says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. That's why Peter says, cast your concerns upon Christ. Tell him your worries. Call out to him with your cares. Take your fears to the Lord. And in doing so, we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We give him our worries. We cast our anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Because he loves you. Cry out to him. Tell him your worries. Friends, in this world, we'll face struggles. And in this world, we are called to fight against them. But, but Peter doesn't stop there. He also assures us that the struggle that we face in this world will one day finish. Many times throughout this book, Peter has directed our thoughts and our attention to the future day of Christ's return. And at the end of the letter, he does it again. Listen to what Peter tells us is coming. In verse 6, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. There's a day coming when we will be exalted, when we will be brought into the, the heavenly places and we will dwell with God for all eternity. That he will exalt us as his people. Verse 10, he goes on and says, And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. What Peter is telling us is that there is a glory that will be revealed, a glory that will take part in, that the God of all grace will pour out his grace again, and he will restore us. That phrase, that word, restore us, it, it literally means make right. That the suffering and the misery that we experience in this world, and not just in this world, but in our own hearts, the things that are as they ought not to be, they will be no more. God will restore us. He will make all things as he intended them to be. I mean, think about that. Those struggles, 
Those anxieties, as soon as I said anxiety and fear and worry, some of you started running through your mind all those anxieties and fears and worries that you have. And maybe you've, you haven't actually heard another word I've said because all you've been thinking about are those things, right? You're thinking happy thoughts, happy thoughts. But think about, think about a day when all those anxieties, when all of those fears... Think about a day when, when the temptations that you face, that the attacks of the devil that are thrown at you, imagine one day without any of those. A day when worry won't overtake you. When concern won't keep you up at night anymore. A day when you won't be tempted and the whispers of the devil will never be spoken. Again, that sounds beautiful, doesn't it, that day? It sounds almost too good to be true, doesn't it? But the truth is, is that that day is coming. The day when struggle will finish because God himself will strengthen us. Because God himself will restore us. He will confirm us and will establish us. And it's not just for a day, but it is a day that will last forever. Did you notice the contrast that Peter gives us? The two words he contrasts, a little while versus eternal. Peter says, after you have suffered a little while, acknowledging that our suffering, our difficulty is real. It is something that we'll experience, but he says that after a little while, it will be no more. And the only reason he can call it a little while is because he compares it to the eternal weight of glory. See, friends, The struggles that you've dealt with for hours or days, the the struggles that you, you have dealt with for months or for years, maybe it is physical struggle, maybe it is pain. Physical pain that you that has that has filled your body for many, many years. Maybe it's emotional pain. There's the result of broken relationship. Maybe it's even spiritual pain of doubt and concern and worry. Whatever it might be, think about that, that. That as long as you have experienced that in comparison to the eternal glory of God, they will feel only like a moment. That is how amazing God's grace is. That is how long we will spend with him, eternity. We cannot even fathom it. That when we enter into the presence of God and our struggles will be no more, what seem to be decades and forever will feel like just a moment. And in saying this, Peter isn't making light of those struggles because your struggles are real. He's not making light of them. He's simply telling us that they won't last forever. He won't let us forget that our struggles will one day be finished. They will be no more. Friends, that's why we fight. That's why we fight the the struggles we face. Because one day the struggles will finish. You know, at the beginning of the sermon, I quoted Jesus in John chapter 16. Jesus said there that in the world you will have tribulation. But do you know that that's only halfway through the verse? It's not how the verse ends. You see, Jesus doesn't leave us with tribulation, and he doesn't leave us with struggle. He said in this world you will have tribulation. But then he says, but take heart. 
for I have overcome the world. And that overcoming he shares with us. And friends, that is the message of 1 Peter, that the God of great grace, that the God of great grace who who is with us as we face our struggles, that the God of great grace who is with us as we fight against our struggles, that the God of great grace in the end will bring our struggles to an end, that they will be finished. And that is why Peter and why we say together to him, be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Father, we do thank you that this world is not the end. (laughs) That the struggles, whatever they may be, that they do not have the last word over us, but that you do. That those to whom you have redeemed and you have saved and you have justified and you have sanctified, that those are they who you will also glorify. And so we praise you that there is a day coming when you, Lord Jesus, will put an end to all of our struggles and we will dwell with you for all eternity. We long for that day and ask that as we wait for it, that you would give us the endurance, that you would give us the perseverance, that you would give us the strength to fight those struggles, longing for that day when they will be no more. Help us, we pray, today and all of our days. We pray in Christ's name and God's people said, Amen.